Hi, and welcome to the Inbold Company Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Gonzalez-Sander. So if you're new here, welcome. Each week on the Inbold Company Podcast, I discuss different topics with women of color about anything and everything from entrepreneurship, family, money, self-discovery, and more. I really wanted to create a space for women of color to explore their identities in an open and honest way. And I wanted to just say thank you so much for all of your feedback and comments and love and support that you've been showing me the past week with the launch. I really appreciate it. It's been a weird time having to, you know, figure out how to record online and right now I have like a blanket over my head in my second bedroom so that the sound quality is good. (laughs) Yeah, I know I got to figure that out. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you so much for supporting me. It means so much and I'm excited to talk to you guys today about our guest. It is Priscilla Castro. Priscilla is the director of marketing for Planoly. So if you guys have ever heard of Planoly before, you might be scheduling your Instagrams. It's a really awesome company, also owned by a woman of color, Brandy Pham. And in today's episode, we talk about Priscilla's experience growing up in Compton, California, the importance family plays in our lives, and redefining success. If you look in the show notes, I've attached some helpful books around creating boundaries, which we talk about. And I think that that is also really important, especially with work. When I met Priscilla, we were actually at a Planoly panel and she was talking about Instagram. And I remember thinking, damn, that girl has her shit together. Seriously, she is also just a genuinely nice human. And she celebrated her birthday last week, so make sure you drop her a happy birthday. It was her 30th, but I know we're saying that she's infinitely 29 right now. So show her some love, make sure you know you give her a little shout out. I'll link to her Instagram so you guys can find her. And yeah, just thank you so much for taking the time to listen, for listening to me ramble and I just really appreciate and love all of you. Make sure that you subscribe, rate, and share this with a friend who you think would love the podcast as well. And as you know, we always start off with pulling an Oracle card. And then at the end, we're going to make some special announcements. So just make sure that you stick around till the end of the episode. And I'll also give you a preview of next week. All right. Talk soon. So one of the first things that I like to do with people is have them pull an Oracle card. So this is an Oracle deck. And so you basically, you can shuffle it. And then whenever you're ready, you can pull a card. Okay. And then we can read what it means. Gratitude. Okay, cool. Okay, wait, let me see the little symbol on the thing. Okay, it's a triangle. So I'll have you read this. Okay. What are you grateful for? Your life can become a living meditation, a breathing manifestation practice, a true co-creation with divine. While you are busy living in gratitude and presence, you make room for so many gifts to come to fruition. Be fully immersed in the beauty, magic, and abundance of this moment rather than delving into the past or the future. I love that. Like we are still going to delve into the past, but we can talk about this too though because this is actually one of the questions that I had for you. Okay. So – I'm very excited to talk to you about this. Tell me about like how you grew up and where you grew up. Yeah. So I am from Compton. I usually tell people I'm from LA. And I think that's like, there's a whole backstory to me telling people where I'm from just from LA. I mean, in Austin, people don't really think like, oh, what part of, because when I tell people from LA, like people don't think like, oh, what part? Because it's so big. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm from LA, but in more specific terms, Compton. I originally was born in Culver City, where I happened, like, I just found out what hospital I was born at, (laughs) which was a corner from my last office when I worked in LA, which is really funny. But 
like during the first few months of my life, lived in Inglewood. And the reason why we moved to Compton was because Inglewood was so hot, like in terms of like hot, like a lot of crime, a lot of prostitution. And I think, I don't know. I mean, my mom tells me that I was like six months old, but I guess it was like middle of the night and a prostitute broke into our house. We were living in a corner. So obviously like corners, just a hot spot. And so she broke into our house, saving herself from, I don't know whether it was like a pimp or somebody who was just like trying to assault her. And when she broke into our house, she landed in my dad's like tool room. And just like from what my parents told me, it was like a bloody mess because she just like fell on top of my dad's mechanical tools because he was a mechanic at the time. And... Yeah, she was just, like, screaming for help, and my dad called the cops, and my mom was like, we're moving. Like, we shouldn't even live here anymore. And so we moved to somewhere safer, Compton. (laughs) (laughs) I really am so excited, though, to talk about this because, for well, for people that don't know me, I was born in Gardena, California, which is right next to Compton, (laughs) and then my family lived in Rancho Dominguez, which, do you consider that? Compton or is it like it's it's, so, like, it's like a community it's within Compton if you google yeah, it. Yeah, like <laughs> I in my head it's like borderline paramount Compton. So I was neighbors with your dad essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we even crossed paths at one point. I don't know. Well, for me cuz I was really young and I didn't grow up there, grow mm-hmm. up there like you did. So it's I'm excited to like hear what yeah, it was like for you yeah. growing up cuz after you guys moved from Englewood to Compton. Mm-hmm. That was still 90, I think. In 90? Yeah. Like, what was it like for you growing up there? Well, from what I remember, I mean, a lot of people shit on Compton because, I mean, right now, like, if I tell people I'm from Compton, people are like, oh my God, how many like shootings have you seen? How many drive-bys have you seen? <laughs> how many gangs? Like, I'm like, okay, I lived in Westside Compton where most of the bloods are at. I never felt like my life was in danger, maybe a few times, but not to the extent that like the media portrays it. Mm -hmm. I think that's like, it's excessive. I definitely saw like gangs and I saw like, you know, a lot of the people that I went to middle school with, like didn't make it all the way to graduation. The same with high school. Mm -hmm. A lot of people fell under the influence of gangs and drugs, even teen pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was never something like that I even wanted to partake in. I just knew, one, I always knew that I had to stay in school, be a smarty pants, make my parents proud, Mm -hmm. and hopefully get to where I'm at today. Yeah. And I think there was like one thing that I did see a lot was a lot of race issues within Compton. Mm -hmm. And then middle school – this is where like the race issues started like getting more heavy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times we had lockdowns at our middle school because race riots would break out. Really? For, like, yeah. Between students? Between students. And I remember there was this one time that I was in my computer class. I mean, all of our classes had like bars on the windows. So mm-hmm. if in case like anybody tried to break in, nobody would be able to. Got it. But I just remember we had like our teacher locked the door. Our doors were made out of like metal. So nobody like... Yeah, nobody can really break in. Yeah. And so, yeah, there was, like, these race riots outside. Like, people were throwing trash cans, throwing bottles to the window, trying to get into the classroom. What? Um, in middle school? Ma- yeah, because majority of the class that I was in, all the Latino kids were, well, like, essentially the Latino nerds were just, like, in the computer class because we were trying to, like, stay away from it. And, yeah, like, shit was going on outside. It was just, like, heavy. And this happened more than once. So it was just – it was crazy to me that – I don't know, like, it was more gang-influenced, like, the race riots that Mm -hmm. would happen. And the people who stayed away from it definitely stood away from it. And I never even, like, tried to touch anything. I was just like, this is not the life I want to live. I don't want to live or even get close to the stereotype that has been made for the people of Compton, the kids of Compton. Like, yeah, you're going to fall into, like, gangs, drugs, violence, teen pregnancy, Mm -hmm. all these things. And... Yeah, that was, like, the reality for some people, but I was just, like, I am not going to fall to the stereotype. Yeah. And I luckily had some great teachers that really made sure that we didn't fall into that. And one teacher that definitely, like, stood with me, and t- I still talk to him to this day. Really? His name is, like, Mr. Inge. He was my English teacher in seventh and eighth grade, I think. But, yeah, he was – I mean, he's been awarded, like, 
one of the best teachers in California. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. He's amazing. Like he is like not just a teacher, but a mentor. Mm -hmm. And I was also in this group called Ladies and Gents, which was like a (laughs) sorority fraternity group, which was influenced by HBCUs because a lot of the teachers at my middle school went to HBCUs and were in the um, historically black colleges and universities. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Mr. Inge went to Tuskegee and he, I don't, can't remember what fraternity he was in, but a lot of the teachers were into fraternities and sororities. So they decided to like just band together and make a sorority fraternity group for like all the middle schoolers. Mm -hmm. And so this was kind of like my Girl Scouts. Oh, But it was like, yeah. So we did a lot of like community service, but we also had to pledge. So we had to go through the entire phase of like pledging and almost like hazing kind of sorts. But it was it like kind of to keep you guys like on the right track? Yeah. Kind of like away from some of the other things you could probably get pulled into. Yeah. So if you were part of Ladies and Gents and you had like a red jacket, we would have red jackets. We had like our own stuff. Uh, You were kind of like... The shit. Like, if you had honors classes, you weren't picked on. You were like, oh, you don't want to mess with the honors kids. And if you were in ladies and gents, you don't want to mess with the ladies and gents kids because they're, like, high society. So I felt like I was like, cool, okay. I'm not a loser. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt, yeah, I felt great doing it because we did do a lot of, like, community service. We cleaned up our campus. Like, we had a presence. Mm-hmm. So we were, like, almost like an elite club. And you guys were, like, doing things to, like, make your community better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the principles from that and wanting to be something better mm-hmm. always stuck to me. And then the way my dad coped with the violence and making sure that he kept us safe was by befriending like gang members in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So it was never a sense of like my dad was going to become a gangbanger or anything. He just knew that he had to keep a level of respect with everybody so that they wouldn't mess around with us. Mm-hmm. One time they did. And actually he wasn't even gang related. He was just like a neighbor who was really was set, like strapped for cash and trying to get his drugs. So he broke into our house and he broke into our garage, took some tools. And this guy knew my dad very well. He knew us very well. But I mean, when it comes to drugs, like you don't really have a barrier yeah. of like, you're going to get anything by any means necessary. So yeah, he broke into our house. And I mean, you definitely feel that like level of violation, but once that happened, my dad made sure he's like, you are never going to come over here and try to do this again to my family. And he was also like and the man who'd broke into our house. He had his issues with other gang members and mm-hmm. he got jumped by a few other people like in front of us. Like, and I'm just like, I can't do anything. And like, I definitely witnessed violence, but never felt like that needed to be the answer for me to get out of here or survive. Compton. Yeah. And I'm like very grateful that my dad was just like, it's funny. Like I remember my dad would just like talk to some people and I knew like that they were gang affiliated. And I'm like, dad, please don't talk to those people. Why are you talking to them? Like, why are you bringing them close to us? He's like, no, you have to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Just like, don't worry. I've got it settled. And to this day, he still has the same rapport with everybody. Yeah. No gang members have ever felt like they've needed to try to like intrude or anything. And for that reason, I've never felt like we've had a target on our back. Mm -hmm. Only time that I felt aside from like us getting, having the break in. Yeah. Having the break in, we did witness a drive by and my dad was outside. My dad is a mechanic. So he was working on his truck. And I remember I was washing the dishes and then I see like turning like around the corner, there's like this car that's just like running by really fast. And then I see like another car behind it, like, three dudes outside the window, like, hanging out the window with, like, guns, like, pointed. How at old the, were you? Oh, this was, like, maybe five years ago. Oh, shit. This was the last time I had seen anything drastic. And I see these guys, and I'm like, okay. In my head, because I've just, like, seen – when I see stuff, it never affects us. I'm like, oh, they're doing their own stuff. Like, it's not affecting us. But then I started hearing gunshots, and I saw them pull the trigger – And I am freaking out because I see my dad outside and I'm just like, oh my God. And I like run outside and I like ask my dad and my dad just gets up. He's just like, go, looks out at the street to see the cars. And I'm like, did you get those cars? Did you see their license plate? He's like, oh, those were gunshots, right? And I'm like, yeah, dad, like you were so close to those gunshots. Like you could have died. Like in my head, like 
my life flashed before my eyes. And it wasn't because we were targeted. It was just like a, a stupid drive-by. Right. It's just something that's like happening in, yeah. like, in your neighborhood. Um, and luckily nothing happened to us. Like the gunshots were aimed at the car that was driving. Right. But it's just like reckless, dumb shit that happens where, you know, innocent people, like still to this day, like innocent people die because yeah. of gunshots. Well, for you and your family, so your family immigrated to the United States when? From Nicaragua in the eight, well, my dad in the seventies and mm-hmm. then my, my mom in the eighties, mm-hmm. but my dad had like a very interesting route to the States because he went <laughs> to the South first and then like Texas, no, Mississippi. Oh yeah. Right. Um, and went to college in Mississippi. So it's funny cause like there's their race relations in Compton and then there's definitely like a different whole set of race relations in Mississippi. So my dad saw both ends, like, I guess both extreme ends as like a new brown person who could barely speak any English in Mississippi. So I'm just like, he tells me all the time, it's like, it was hard. And now that kind of like let him grow a thick skin for anything Mm. that he kind of like set the bar for him to be like, this we is can nothing. live in Compton. Yeah, like this is fine. <laughs> this is nothing. Yeah. And so my mom came to LA with my uncle and they lived in Echo Park at the time. And then she met my dad and then they decided to move into Inglewood. Okay. Yeah. So they never lived in like a nice part. I mean, Echo Park today is very, very different to what it was. Yeah. It used, 30 to, not, years it ago. used to not be like a good neighborhood. Yeah. My mom, it's funny because like before I moved to Austin, I would hang out in Echo Park all the time. And my mom to this day doesn't get why I hang out over there. And I'm like, mom, it's not the same. So Mm -hmm. I remember I took her to a Dodger game once and I'm like, I'm going to show you Echo Park. (laughs) Let me know what you think. And she just like, as we drove by, her jaw just fell to the ground. She She just couldn't believe. Because the gentrification is that drastic. And so she's like, yeah, this is not the Echo Park that I lived in 30 plus years ago. So. It's crazy because, like, my family never really talks about anything being mm-hmm. unsafe. Like, they mm-hmm. don't really – I don't really recall them ever being like, don't drive over there. Or, like, mm-hmm. be careful when you go. Oh, I got that all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, obviously when I was little, it's not like I'm going to go anywhere by myself yeah. or anything like that. But to this day, you know, it took me, like, a lot of probing questions to really ask anyone in my family mm-hmm. what – it was like being there, yeah. like being in California in the 90s, having raised a family. My dad moved to L.A. from the Philippines when he was 17, I think. Oh, wow. Or maybe he was younger than that. Sorry. But anyway, he was not like little. He yeah. was in his teens. Yeah. I'm almost positive. And unfortunately, just like he did fall into gang life, mm-hmm. I personally think it is because he was bullied a lot when he came to the States. He didn't speak any English. And like what gangs provide to people is like a sense of security. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like protection. Yeah. It is what you would call like your family, mm-hmm. you know, like they're mm-hmm. there to protect you. And I think that's what the draw for a lot of people yeah. is to be involved in that, to find that comfort yeah. in community. In communities that are like Compton and like marginalized communities, communities that aren't really set for success. And I think that's why my dad, like one, he didn't want us to be involved, but he knew that there needed to be some allegiance to keep us safe. Yeah. So he wasn't involved, but he was like, yeah, I'll keep it cool with them. Mm -hmm. Like that I'm not, that's no skin off my back. Well, you have to do what you need to do to survive. Yeah. Like, Keep your family yeah. safe. Yeah. So for you and your family, it's you said that earlier that you know you always wanted to stay on like the right path mm-hmm. so that you could be successful. What kinds of values did your family really instill in you growing up in that kind of environment? I think more so the first thing, of course, family. Mm-hmm. I always noticed that like I grew up kind of always bitter at my grandparents because my mom was always sending them stuff like every nice thing and then I would be like why can't we keep that for ourselves Mm -hmm. like why don't we get that for ourselves like oh I wanted that like things like that were they still living in Nicaragua yeah my grandparents still live in Nicaragua and to this day like now I've been the one providing for my grandparents too um along with my mom so 
learning that family is always first Mm -hmm. is very much at the core, but also what makes you happy. My parents understood that being in medicine was not going to make me happy. Yeah. And they battled with that. But once they saw that I was actually like making a life for myself within marketing, within Mm -hmm. social media, that like I probably wouldn't have the success I have if I went into medicine doing something that I truly hated. Yeah. And so they really appreciate that. But yeah, at the top of the chain, if anything, it's, it's family making sure that we're not selfish in the sense of like things that we get. So for example, if I like cooked for myself, like in the very littlest thing, like if I cooked for myself and didn't cook for the rest of my family, they're like, why would you do that? Yeah. You didn't think about us? Yeah. Yeah. It's always like very, very familial. So now that I live alone, like, and I go back to my family, I have to understand like, hey, it's not just you. You're remembering those core values. Yeah. Yeah. It's all like we share everything. Mm -hmm. So, and I think, I don't know, maybe some families are different where they're like, okay, I'm doing my own thing. This is my path. This is it. And then for my family, it's like, okay, you got that. How are you going to share with us too? Like, how are you going to pass it around to everybody? So everybody's also winning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's like how my family is too. You know what I mean? Like, I can't really imagine anything else that isn't that way of thinking of like, I'm going to get a job and like be successful and then try to like give back to my family. Like I'm going to try to give my like grandparents money or I'm going to pay for them to go do something nice. Like I want to take my mom on vacation. Mm -hmm. It's like they sacrifice so much. Exactly. Yeah. To like give you the opportunity to be successful and make money and like, you know, do great things and kind of like live out the reason why they immigrated to America. Oh my gosh. I don't know why I feel like I want to cry. No, I know. This is like, no, I always (laughs) feel, I always get so emotional. I always feel like, I don't know when I look back at how I used to feel Mm -hmm. about, and I feel so selfish. Like I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like now I like have so much joy when I can like send money to my grandpa because he's sick. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel so much joy. If, like, if my grandma was in town three weeks ago, she, like, flew to L.A. to see my mom. And I was like, I'm not wasting a second. I bought a flight ticket and I'm, like, because I just need to see her. I'm trying to be more mindful of time because there's been instances in my life where I've pushed it to the next time. Oh, I'll just see them next time. Mm-hmm. Or I've let work. And this is, like, another thing that I'm trying to, like, give myself a boundary with life, with work. I had a job where my job didn't let me take time for anything or fly somewhere or do anything. And so an uncle of mine was really, really sick. And so he was actually out here in Austin and I was in LA. And so I wanted to go see him and I didn't even bother asking my job because I just knew it was going to be a flat out no. So I just said, okay, well, maybe I'll go visit him in a few months. Within those few months, he passed away. And so I live with that like regret of putting work first mm-hmm. and not going to go see my uncle. And like, it's funny because now that I talked to his brother, he's like, you know, he was actually in a really bad shape. So he didn't even want to see anybody. So if you would have came, he probably wouldn't wanted to see you because he just felt really like ashamed of how sick he had gone and he had a lot of pride. But even with that, like, I'm never going to put work ahead in front of my family yeah ever 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 moving here to Austin I felt guilty because I always felt that if I left home something bad was going to happen and bad things are going to happen regardless so Mm -hmm. as long as I talk to my mom every day I'm like I'm cool I need to have like that FaceTime and funny enough now that I'm gone having like an even tighter tighter relationship with my parents like it's insane so yeah like understanding that time is not promised and knowing what to prioritize yeah and just being grateful of course like saying it but if I can like provide for my parents my grandparents I'm good yeah yeah well I think for at least me too the fact that my mom really instilled family Mm -hmm. first as like the foundation for like who I am yeah you know what I mean like she's always been like that like, oh my God. <laughs> You're good. 
<laughs> I'm like, why am I going to cry? You know what's no, so funny is like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what's really weird is when you're growing up or you're like a little bit younger, like maybe in your early 20s, you really take advantage of that stuff. Like you want to like do your own thing and like be like out of the house and like yeah. all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you hit a Come certain age. Yes. And you're like... I love you guys. I'm so sorry yeah. that I was like so mean and I'm selfish sorry for being and like an yeah. <laughs> you're like I was being such a brat and you yeah. did so many things for me. But it is true like your family is always there for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like growing up, my mom was a single mom and I know that like my aunts took care of me. Mm-hmm. They took care of my mom. They helped her buy tires. Like I wouldn't be here without that community. Yeah. And that support system from your family. Yeah. Which I think is really like the core of what can guide you in the right directions and keep you steadfast, right? That love, that commitment to you as an individual. And what's funny for me is like, so there's not a lot of Nicaraguans in LA. Sometimes when I meet people, they'll be like, oh, you're like the first Nicaraguan I've met. So because of that, we don't have a lot of family Mm -hmm. out there. So the people that I call family in LA aren't even blood related. There's so many cousins, quote unquote cousins. Oh my God. And aunts that I have (laughs) that aren't blood related at all. My best friends know them as my cousins, but we're not even blood related family. And my uncle who had passed away, he wasn't even Nicaraguan. He was a black man from Alabama. And he, he essentially was in our life since I was like nine to, till I was 26. And he was always there, so I just called him uncle. I co- mm. called him Uncle Rodney. And I've noticed or I've seen that I have a stronger bond with those that aren't blood-related than I, like, I'm honored to call them uncle or aunt or cousin. Because then on my dad's side of the family, we're not all that tight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so where my dad has kind of, like, separated himself from his side of the family because I have some aunts and uncles who are just really, like – salt of the earth type people Mm -hmm. yeah and it's a bummer but it's totally fine because i know my family they don't have to be blood related for me to like know that i'm loved and being taken care of Mm -hmm. and my dad has done it's crazy that you can like put your that side of your family aside for the family that you've chosen and chosen and made yourself yeah and so i'm just like really grateful for my dad to do that because Sometimes, like, I have this, like, love-hate relationship with Nicaragua. When I go there, the town from where my parents are from is so small. So when I go there, I just know that word runs fast. I'm not even from there. And people talk. People will know, oh, that's Domingo's daughter. And, like, oh, did you see her? Did you see what she's doing? Like, apparently, like, my dad's side of the family has had some really nice things to say about me. But they don't know anything about me. Yeah. And it's just, like... The ignorance is really funny to me. So I just like don't even Yeah. Well, I think at the end I mean, at the end of the day, it is I think community and family of whatever type of family that you have and the community that you make is such a huge impact on how you behave in the world, right? I truly believe that people that have a strong idea of community and family are, you know, better off like all around the board, right? Because it is, you know that you have people that have your back, you know, people will support you and whatever Mm -hmm. that you're doing, you know that you are always loved and supported no matter what happens. You feel like people are going to be there for you Mm -hmm. through the good and the bad times. And I don't know, I just couldn't even really imagine a life where that wasn't really the case. Because if I was just living my life by acquaintances, it would just be like, like such an empty life, like the one person who hasn't even like that is a definition of community back in LA, my uncle Rodney, he gave us so much. He like encouraged us to like for my quinceanera, he bought me a drum set. My dad couldn't be. Yeah. Like my dad was in Nicaragua at the time because my dad travels a lot for work and Mm -hmm. he does imports and exports. So in my quinceanera, he, my dad wasn't there. And so Rodney stepped in as like, a substitute for my dad. Yeah. And it's funny because like a lot of the times I resented my dad because he wasn't there from like the father-daughter dance. But I'm like, I had somebody there and he wasn't even blood related. And I'm just like, it's crazy. Yeah, like 
he set us up to know everybody within the neighborhood and the community that like we needed to know in order to like get our car fixed. He knew how to like help me fill out my FAFSA forms. I'm like, who does this that mm-hmm. is not blood related to you? Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. That's but so special. Yeah, it's um, yeah, he was like such a special dude and. I'm so grateful for him. My family was so grateful for him. And he didn't even have a family of his own. He was divorced. I don't remember when. I think it was like in the 80s. And it wasn't until his funeral that I met his wife, his ex-wife. Wow. And he was like, oh, this is, you're the girl that he's essentially tried to raise with Domingo. And I was like, oh, like, yeah. And then they asked me to like speak during his service. Yeah. And just like meeting all the people that he had impacted in his life. I'm just like, he was such a selfless man that I'm like, I hope to do that because he just, I don't know. He well, was just it meant like, so much to you yeah. to have that. And yeah. so you want to be able to like give that back to whoever yeah. it is that yeah. you're giving, you yeah. know, that same mm-hmm. like love and energy to. Yeah. Big thank you to Boss Babes ATX for sponsoring season one of the In Bold Company podcast. So you guys, I love this nonprofit so much because they have been so supportive of In Bold Company since the very, very beginning and especially with producing this podcast. So not only have they supported me, but each year they educate and connect 1500 plus emerging women and non-binary creatives, entrepreneurs, and leaders through their different programs with 20,000 plus community members per year attending their programs. I mean, honestly, that's like a mouthful for me to say, but they do such a great job. And we all know that being an entrepreneur, creative, human trying to do things is super hard without access to resources and community. In May 2020, Boss Babes ATX will be introducing their first ever membership. So this is for women and non-binary leaders seeking personal and professional development. The membership tiers will be anywhere from $5 to $50 a month, and it will include access to Boss Babes ATX personal resource guides to intimate networking and trainings with other thought leaders and mentors in the community. So to learn more about Boss Babes ATX programs and their memberships, head to bossbabes.org and you can use the code imbold 2020 for 10% off anything in their shop, their membership when it launches and all ticketed Boss Babes ATX events for 2020. You can support them while supporting us. Thank you so much, Boss Babes ATX. Well, it's kind of like circling back, I guess. I know that you said that your family like always really wanted you to be like a doctor Mm -hmm. or, you know, something. I think for a lot of immigrant families, like they have a certain idea of what it means to be successful and like the career because they know that that's a career path that will like make money. Mm -hmm. Obviously, being a doctor would be one of those things. Did it take them a long time to accept what you were doing? Yeah. In like the creative industry? Yeah. I mean, now they don't say anything because they know that I'm like, okay, cool. You've proven us wrong. But for a while, it was just, they saw me hustle so hard that they were like, you're setting yourself up for failure with this career that you've chosen. So when I first got to college, I was actually a marine biology major. Oh, what? Yeah. Okay. So Cal State Long Beach is one of like, I guess, one of the best marine bio schools. schools. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to be either a veterinarian. Like, I don't want to be a doctor, but I love animals. So I will either be a veterinarian or a marine biologist. I love 51st State so much. So I was like, <laughs> I want to be a marine like, biologist. I'm definitely going to be a marine biologist. I'm going to be a marine movie. biologist. <laughs> and I also got accepted to UC Davis. So I was like, yeah, oh, sweet. I'm set for being a veterinarian. But my parents were like, you don't have to leave the nest in order for you to have a great career. So forget UC Davis, one of the best UCs in California. They were like, you're not going. That's nice. You got accepted, but you're not going. So I was like, they're like, no way. You stay close to home. Yeah. They were just like, you're going to stay here. And I'm like, what a beer. I don't even want to go to Cal State Long Beach. <laughs> I know, right? You're like, when you're that age, you're like, I don't want to be here. I want to like, leave. I want to leave mom. But yeah, they were just like, 
discouraging any idea of me moving out. Like, it's not going to happen. And so I, I never left home till I was, what, 27? So I first had marine biology. Then I had, <laughs> it was such a weird, like, journey with my majors. So marine bio, and then marine bio with a double major in French. And then I was like, you know what, marine bio isn't working. And then I did journalism. Mm -hmm. And then journalism with a double major in French. And then do you switch it again? I was a journalism major also. Oh, you were? Yeah, my family was like, what? Yeah, no, but mostly my grandparents were kind of like, I don't understand what that is. My mom was more like, she was born in the Philippines, mm-hmm. but she moved here when she was six. So she doesn't have an accent or anything like right. that. She sounds very American. Yeah. So she wasn't as like, what is that major? You know what I mean? Yeah. But my grandparents were very confused. Oh, no. <laughs> my family was just like, why? And I'm like, I want to work for Vogue. <laughs> I'm really my eyes. And so I really wanted to work for a fashion magazine. And then as I was taking my courses, one of my professors um, worked for the LA Times and he got laid off. And so as he's teaching us everything, he's like, hey, just a heads up, journalism is actually like a very bleak career. You will get laid off. You will. Oh, wow. And very he's blunt. like, he was just like, I'm just setting you guys up for realism and understand maybe you should look for another job. Maybe journalism isn't it. LA Times is like firing people left and right. Damn. So I was just like, oh, okay, maybe I should do it like a plan B. And then... I stopped my French major, but it was already too late for me to switch to a double major in marketing. And so I took a minor in marketing, but I immersed myself in it. Like Mm -hmm. I was going to conferences. I was part of the American Marketing Association chapter in my school. I was part of the e-board. I was doing projects. I was going to like ad firm tours. Like I just knew, I was like, this is what I want to do. Like this is, I want to work at Deutsch. I want to work at TBWA Shia Day, like one of the biggest agencies. And my parents were like, "Mm, you should have stuck to medicine. You should have stuck to science. And and I definitely had to hustle after graduation. I didn't have internships till after graduation. And I was doing like two internships and two jobs at the same time. So I remember- you had four jobs, essentially. Four jobs. Yeah. I remember- What were they? At one time, I was interning at No Subject, which is the former agency that Jacqueline Johnson, the founder of Korean Cultivate, used to have. Mm. So I was interning there, also interning at LA Canvas <laughs> magazine right there. I was like, what? I was like, what's the magazine that I was interning at? LA Canvas. And I was also working at Starbucks and working at a hat shop called Gorin. So I was hustling, hustling, oh God, hustling. Born? Yeah, I was working out and I loved, that was my most fun. If I had to go back to retail, I would go back to Gordon. That was the best job I've ever had. It was oh so fun. God. And then I was also interning at a music magazine called Filter. So I figured, okay, I have a journalism background, a degree, and I also have marketing. I could do the two and work at a music magazine. I could work in magazines, do social media, write, do all the things. And um, it definitely paid off. Eventually, I became social media manager at Korean Cultivate. Um, I was also social media coordinator and then became editor at BeautyCon. So my parents started seeing like, okay, Traction. like we don't know what these companies are about. Maybe they mean something to somebody, but like. Yeah, they're like, I they're still like, don't know what that is. Still don't know. I don't think my parents even know what I actually really do today. Literally, no one in my family has any idea No, they're like, uh, most of them don't. I don't even know how to if say marketing in Spanish. Older. They're no, like, are like, what is that? No, my grandma definitely doesn't know what I do. I just tell her that I travel a lot. <laughs> and then I teach people about social media and that's it. And, and she's like, like I guess. That? Are you happy? Okay, good. Are you making good money? Sure, fine. All right. No complaints. Yeah, I know, right? They're like, but are you? So can you like live? Yeah. They're okay? like, are you all right? They're okay. I think when my, my mom came to my apartment December because I had like a surgery and I think like I was asking her before she came here. I'm like, okay, can you please tell me how you think I'm living? Like, do you think I'm struggling? Like, oh, right. You're kind of like, what are you envisioning? Yeah. Like, I really want to know. And then she's like, I just don't know, Priscilla. Like, I mean, you're out there in Texas. I know that is cheaper than LA, but like, you're just living by yourself. You don't have roommates. Why don't you have roommates? Because like, was she so surprised when she came here? Oh yeah, she was like so surprised. She was like, okay, your place is actually nice. Oh my god, I don't live like in squalor. Like that was the first time your mom's come. Has your dad ever seen where you live? No, no, my dad has still hasn't seen, but he's trying to come visit. 
Do you think that you hustled so hard with the internships and the jobs because you wanted to prove that you could like be successful in, yeah. in your chosen career field? I'm just like a workhorse, I think, because I mean, I didn't have to work to, I, I don't know, maybe I, in my head I did because I didn't have the internships in college. So I already felt like I was behind because a lot of my college classmates had already gotten ad jobs mm. the minute that they graduated. Like they were already getting offer letters before graduation day. Oh, okay, so I, I felt so behind. I was just like, okay, great. I'm a failure. I'm not working at the ad agency I want. I was rejected from ad agencies I wanted to work at. So I was like, okay, I really need to like define a path for myself, but also I'm not going to school anymore. So maybe this time I could really use it to make more money. Yeah. And so that's why I was working like two part-time jobs at the same time. So a lot of the time I was definitely putting work ahead of myself and my family because I was working 24 seven yeah, and barely trying saw. to work, but you were trying to like, Work really hard in a career that isn't known for making a lot of money. It's yeah. actually a very saturated industry yeah. marketing. Yeah. And I feel that. Like I said, I studied journalism, creative writing, and Spanish. <laughs> Which <laughs> so is pretty similar. And like I had so many jobs. I think the first time I didn't have like more than two jobs was in 2017. That was the first time since like going to college yeah. that I did not have more than two jobs. Right. Like all through college, I always had like multiple jobs and I did mm -hmm. like multiple internships and I just like did all these things because I really wanted to be successful yeah. in the way that I felt successful. And so I was like very dedicated to that. I like knew that if I was going to do something that was not on the path of what people wanted for me, yeah. you know, in order to be their definition of successful, that I was going to have to really prove myself did your parents have to like or did your parents question whether this was like a viable career option yeah I think that they're very confused I mean and so after college I actually moved to Spain for a year and taught English which everyone was like what but okay my mom but my so, mom kind of accepted it because yeah. she knew that I was like obsessed with living in Spain right she was like it's okay but then you know after a while she was kind of like how are you going to pay your student loans? Like, mm -hmm. you can't just, like, be in Spain forever. Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, I will show you what yeah. I will do. You know what I mean? And then I came, moved back to the States, lived in Austin, took, like, a ridiculous sales job that I did not really want to take. I did not want to be in sales. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, I do not want to do this. Yeah. But I took it because I just moved here. I wanted to, like, build a community and, like, figure out what I wanted to do. But no one would really hire me because I spent a year in yeah. teaching. And then I worked at that sales job for a full year and I could like literally never take time off. I mean, we, I worked downtown in Austin and I would just stare outside at people on the river and just be depressed oh, about God. being stuck inside. And, you know, I was living in Spain previously yeah. where I was like jetting off somewhere every weekend, yeah. you know, it was just like a different lifestyle. And I said to myself, I can't do this anymore. And I ended up quitting without telling my mom. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And the way she found out was she sent me an email to my work email and it bounced. Oh, and then God. she called me and she was like, did you quit your job? And I was like, yes, I did. <laughs> and so then I, I was like, mom, don't worry. I'm going to hustle and like do all these things. And I mean, like I had so many jobs. I worked at Ballet Austin. I was babysitting. I was freelance doing photography and writing and literally anything that I could get my hands yeah. on. I was willing to do whatever it took so that I could pay my bills. Yeah. And I was like, shit, I need to figure out what I want to do real quick. Right. And then I ended up finding the job that I have now, which is my full-time job at Party at the Moon Tower. But originally, even when I took that job, it was part-time. Right. And I was just like, I already knew what was going to happen. I was like, I'm going to take this job mm -hmm. that's part-time and I'm going to make it full-time. There's no way. But now like with this, you found your balance. Yes. I feel like that's the key. Like now, I think like, I don't know. And I've, I've talked to this about a few people, and we even talk about this at Planoly, like mm -hmm. hustle culture. I think there comes a point where you have to stop mm -hmm. because, I don't know, I think within my hustle culture, I was probably losing myself and just putting work as a priority. And like, I was only defining myself by my work. Yeah. Like, for example, I've bought those turntables. I have turntables in my living room right now. <laughs> and I bought those turntables 2016. 
Oh my gosh, Priscilla. <laughs> I should be a DJ by now. But because I have only... Your focus was work. My focus was work. I never gave myself a hobby. And I don't want to do DJing as like a means to get money. I think like, and I don't know if like maybe the same for you. Like I was just trying to do everything I could to get some money mm-hmm. and survive. Like, I need to pay. I need to like pay my bills. I yeah. need to like, you know, be in this quote unquote certain place of financial stability and like whatever, yeah. you know, whatever that means to you. Yeah. And like proving my parents that I could sustain myself without asking them for money. That was just like such a big thing for me. And then now that I am doing that, like my parents ask me for money. Like that is a level of success that I've reached now that I'm like, okay, cool. But what about me? Like I haven't really done anything for myself. Mm -hmm. And like, sure, like I have a life I want to live, but I don't want to like, sure, like I go to work out and I do this and I do that, like to make sure that I have like my balance. But what about like the hobbies yeah. and things that we want to do that aren't so related to finances? Like yeah, I feel like just like stuff that you enjoy. Yeah, like I don't know. I feel like I've lost that. I've definitely lost that you, along with like this whole deal of perfectionism and letting go of perfectionism because I'm never going to be perfect. So just trying to find that balance has been interesting and not like overworking myself. I'm like, I work myself. I've worked myself so hard to get to where I'm at right now. Like Mm -hmm. I should breathe for a second. Like, of course, not to the point of retirement where I'm like, okay, cool. I'm done. Yeah. Maybe I can retire early. Who knows? But I feel like now, and I mean, just for everybody, like we should just like be able to breathe and not put like this, not glamorize hustle culture. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't know. I have a friend who doesn't like the like word. That. She might a friend of mine who's um entrepreneur, she's the founder of I Love Creatives. Her name's Puno. She hates the word hustle. And then I was like, why do you hate it? Like I'm like, we're all hustlers. And I'm like, no, you're kind of right. Like it actually it doesn't have a good connotation because we're just like working ourselves. And then there's companies that exploit that. Like if they we, expect you to work yourself to the bone. But yeah. like you are never gonna be good for yourself, good for your work, good for your family. If you burn yourself into yeah. the ground, like overworking yeah. and being a workhorse, yeah. I don't believe that that's when you're going to be able to do your best it's work because you're tired yeah. and you haven't done anything. Yeah. Like you're just going and going and going and going without stopping, but yeah. at a certain point you will break down. That's just not how it I- I'll tell you now, like three years ago when I was in LA, if you asked me to do this podcast on a Sunday afternoon, I would probably tell you no, because I would be too busy working on a Sunday afternoon. And it's not yeah. like I told myself when I moved over here, cause I would, I definitely did not have a work life balance when I lived in LA. And that, that was like a means of success for me. Like having a work life balance, I know that I've done right. So now with my apartment, like I'd never bring in anything digital to my room. I don't bring mm. my phone. I don't bring what my a laptop. Good rule. Thanks to my therapist. <laughs> but I also <laughs> therapy, like thank you. Therapy, thank you. But like the bad habits that I used to have in LA, I told myself, don't if you're gonna move to Austin and if you're gonna like take this whole opportunity like to learn. To learn, don't bring the same toxic traits that you had in LA. So I used to work till midnight, beyond midnight on my bed, like working, working, working. I have a work desk here in my apartment, but if I'm going to work from home, I'm going to go work at Better Half or like the library. My p- apartment is very sacred. So yeah, like this I'd, is your Zen. This zone. is my Zen place because mm-hmm. even when I got home back in LA, I would still be stressed. And yes, if I'm stressed, there is some level of stress that is over here, but it's not like I try to give myself boundaries. So that's I like itself boundaries. is really, really important. That's another metric of success for me. So. I love boundaries. I think they're very important. Yeah. I don't think we put enough boundaries for ourselves. Yes. I need to put more boundaries. Like everyone should have good, healthy boundaries. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. I love boundaries. Well, to kind of circle back to the beginning and kind of finish this out, what are you thankful for and like where do you find gratitude now in the present today? Mm -hmm. Because I know we talked a lot about the past and a little bit about the future. Yeah. I think more so – I mean, coming here, definitely community because – and maybe this is relating to the past. I don't want to talk about the past, but in relation (laughs) to the past. um, In L.A., it was kind of – I have my best friends. I have my family. But outside of friends and family, it was kind of hard to find my community. And I hated, hated 
networking, going mm. outside, meeting people. And here in Austin, it is just so nice. Like people here are so sweet, so genuine. Don't like want to meet you for out of like self-interest. And so to this day, like I feel like I've built like a really good community, including you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I'm really, really grateful for that. I'm grateful for my health. And I'm grateful just to be in this moment without being stressed. I think that's like a good thing. That's good. <laughs> because I'm always stressed. That is beautiful. Because yeah. like I mentioned earlier, like if you asked me three years ago to do yeah. this on a Sunday, I would be like looking. I haven't picked up my phone. I haven't picked up my phone at all. But I would be picking up my phone all the time. Being like, I need like, to look at it. Like, what I happened? Need to look, I need to like think what I need to do next. And being not tied to my phone is so nice. Like, yeah, I have my phone, but it's not like I'm looking at it every five seconds to think like, okay, we need to wrap this up. Like, yeah. it's not that. Yeah. I can actually like go through this and be mindful of being here and now you can, like, rather than thinking easy. like, okay, what's next? Yeah, that's thinking about it makes me want to throw up. <laughs> yeah. All right, y'all. That was my episode with Priscilla. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I know my friends and family in Chicago are probably asking why I'm saying y'all, but this is me now. So if you like the show, make sure you share it with a friend you think would like it too. And you can always find me on Instagram at Embold Company, where I will be saying more y'alls. Sorry. Uh, a few quick announcements. We're doing giveaways all of April and hosting Instagram takeovers by some really awesome people in the community. So make sure that you follow us on there. You can always check out the full show notes with links to everything that the guest and I mentioned along with books about creating boundaries and some other fun things. Next week on the podcast, I have Katie Lewis talking about finding her birth parents, which is an amazing story. So please make sure you tune in because it's really cool. It gave me all of these super fuzzy feelings. I think I say that a lot, but that's okay. If you're still listening, the theme of the episode is gratitude. So if you're thinking about what you're grateful for during this time, just let me know. Hit me up in my DMs, comment on our Instagram, whatever, however you want to get in touch with me, email me, and then I'll write you a letter and we can be pen pals. All right. Thanks so much. Until next week.